a lot of times is just making changes on the fly, uh, little adjustments, things that might make a difference further down the line. That Triathlon Show, episode 26. Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I bring you an interview with one of the very top elite coaches in triathlon today, Paulo Sousa. Paulo is originally from Lisbon, Portugal, but uh, he resides in Poway, California, and has been living in the US for quite a few years already. In uh, California, in Poway, he has the Triathlon Squad, which is a high-performance coaching environment for elite triathletes that he founded a few years ago, and uh, it's become very successful. And he has, among other athletes in that environment, he has two of three U.S. male Olympians from the Rio 2016 triathlon team. So we'll get into the interview right away, keep the intro short and sweet. Just one more thing to lure you in, Paulo was the USAT Coach of the Year 2016. So if there's uh, anybody you can learn something from, it's uh, definitely from him. So, all right, enjoy this interview with Paulo Sousa. All right, so we've got uh, Paulo Sousa on that triathlon show today. Welcome to the show, Paulo. Oh, thank you. Are you back from uh, Yokohama yet or are you still on the roads? Because you've been there for the WTS World Triathlon Series race uh, this past weekend by the time that we record this interview. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was in Yokohama for the, for the WTS. I, uh, I had some athletes racing there and now I'm, uh, I'm back in the US. Yeah, okay, perfect. And uh, the reason that you are there, of course, you're, you have athletes racing and you are the coach of the triathlon squad that uh -huh. operates in uh, California in Poway. Is that how you pronounce Poway? I'm not quite sure yes. about that. Okay. Yeah, it's Poway. Yeah. So the triathlon squad, you have, uh, if I'm correctly informed, you have nine professional athletes. Is that still current information? Uh, maybe maybe a little more than that. I, I, it's hard for me to keep track of like the exact number. But, uh, but yeah, maybe around uh, 12 right now, 12 or 13. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, are most of them still from the United States and Canada and some international or is it getting more and more international or what's the breakdown? Yeah, yeah it's, getting, it's getting more international. Uh, for some years, it was mostly uh, US and, uh, and Canada. But uh, for this season, uh, I, got, uh, I got three athletes, one from Japan, another from Belgium and another from, uh, from Denmark. So like, um, rough and international flavor now for sure. Okay, that's that's really cool. And some of the the more well known athletes that you have are uh, Greg Billington and Joe Malloy, who were U.S. Olympians in Rio this past summer, mm -hmm. and then uh, Summer Cook as well. And uh, mm -hmm. the Wurtels are triathletes that the audience will be familiar with. So, so it's uh, definitely a, a high performance squad. What made you decide to form a high performance environment like that, where you operate together on a day to day basis? The involvement with coaching was always was always on the side of you know being interested in the in performance and uh, and uh, in my previous uh, professional life I was uh, I was uh, I was doing scientific research in fluid dynamics and uh, and then f at one point in uh, at the end of 2010 
it just got to the point where the coaching side of my life was getting really, really big. And, uh, and I opted to just, uh, take the plunge and, uh, and just go full time and, and coach full time. And that's when I, uh, and, uh, and that's when I decided to, uh, to create the squad, uh, basically from, uh, from scratch. And, uh, I just started a project and got, got a few athletes, uh, motivated and involved and uh, and i just uh, took it from there so were you already coaching very high level athletes at that point but you were coaching them remotely uh yeah so for the 2009 2010 uh, season i was uh, i was involved with uh, with coaching the some members of the canadian national team uh, uh, simon whitfield kyle jones and then at the end of uh, the 2010 season upon uh, leaving that project or or like uh, like it was uh, presented to me at the time after my contract was not renewed i uh, i decided to uh, to just create the squad and uh, and embrace embrace coaching full time yeah and uh, i read an interview on the sloth which i think it was that you also had some frustrations with uh, remote coaching and and not being able to really coach the athletes the way that uh, you'd like and that is required on a really high performance level with elite athletes and and that was was that also a deciding factor in actually trying to get for sure yes for sure for sure i felt that and particularly during that year of 2009 2010 i felt that particularly to work with uh, with itu athletes the the need to be with uh, the athletes and the squad on a daily basis was was pretty big and uh, and definitely the limitations of working online were were pretty big and uh and just for me like always coaching has been being with the athletes on a on a daily basis or close to daily basis the beginnings when i started coaching uh back in portugal it was always with uh, training with the athletes or coaching the athletes on a daily basis and being with them for a lot of the session so uh when i when i decided to go coaching full-time and create the squad was more with that just like getting back to those uh to those beginnings of you know coaching the athletes where they are and on a daily basis and just doing that kind of daily work. So can you name a few of the most important things that you get that you can do when you're coaching an athlete from on the deck or in the field that you just can't if you're not there with them when they're training? It's basically, you know, the day-to-day, the day-to-day uh, operation of the squad is we operate with uh, I have for each athlete uh, a template that I f- might follow for a few weeks, and uh, and that template is not set in stone. So basically, no no session is set in stone, and that allows you to just have uh, first off an, an attitude where you just operate on on the now and what's in front of you, and uh, and second, you can just make small adjustments to to the sessions, and uh, and and so you can get a lot more from the schedule than just. Uh, than just being tied down to to just having a set schedule for the for the week. So a lot more flexibility. Sometimes it's a lot easier to just you know either be at a session and realize that an athlete is having a really good day, and then you can you can extend the session or just push it a little further. But also a lot of times it's just making changes on the fly, uh, little adjustments, things that uh, might have uh, might make a difference uh, further down the line. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one thing that that I found interesting was that, or or that I I'm curious about is that how do you balance the training each athlete individually, but also benefiting from that squad environment and having training sessions where the athletes uh, train with each other, and and how does that work? 
Yeah, so that's basically one of the things, one of the things that the integration between the individual and the group, it, it would be very hard to do without a without a coach, without a coach on deck or or being there on, on a daily basis. And and most of the times it's it's going to be about where where training with the group or doing the group session is going to favor an individual athlete and or or what's it's not going to favor an individual athlete. So looking for individualization is more on, let's say, like the number of reps that you do from a session or doing a session altogether. I would say that there's going to be differences also between sports. So, for example, for the ITU athletes, most of the times, most of the, the whole squad is going to do the same swim workout. And maybe small subgroups are going to be, going to be, doing, um, going to be doing some different or slightly different uh, bike sessions and then the run training i think it's the one where it's more tailored to to specific athletes and uh, and a lot of times i might have you know at at a session let's say a track session i might have like very small groups like one or two maybe max three athletes doing one session and then one or two doing another session just so that we can really target that uh, that individual aspect of of training Mm, yeah and so how how many of the sessions or the weekly sessions of an athlete are done either as a part of a larger group or at least with a couple of other athletes of of the total is it like 80 percent or is it even closer to 100 percent 50 percent it's probably it's probably actually like lower than that i said maybe like 60 percent something like that i think it's what's really important is the way we work in our squad is we have a, a permanent basis in uh, in southern california where Basically, from December to April, we're there. You know, basically just training, and and it, this is the off season, so there's no, there's not a lot of races, not a lot of athletes going to races at at that time. And uh, and uh, with that uh, with that in mind, we we need to create that, an environment that's sustainable for several months. So instead of, for example, there's a lot of squads that have like one training camp for a month, and then they just go home for another month. And those training camps can be more more intensive. In the case of my squad, I try to have an environment that's sustainable for several months in a row, and for that to for that to work, that it helps to give the the athletes a lot of space. And in order for them to have a lot of space, I end up having a lot of sessions that are going to be on your own, meaning that the athletes can do them alone, or they can just you know call each other and just hook up for one session or the other. So that you know it would be very stressful for the athletes for months at an end three times a day they just have to have you know their coach and the rest of the squad in their face that can become uh, a little too intense a little too stressful and i even have athletes that have days that they don't even like see the squad you know so or me for example so basically they have personal days where they just spend some time where they they're training days that are they're training and uh and uh and they don't have to interact with the squad or me and i think that those all those measures contribute for the sustainability of the program. Yeah, no, I can totally imagine that. That being said, on the flip side, do you do like other team building things? Like, do you eat together from time to time, or do other other things like that to to build a, a positive group environment? Uh, yeah, in, in our squad, I mostly leave that to the athletes. Like I said, like they're getting like FaceTime with me. It's because we we're like working, so I kind of like I don't like as much to have like activities were just like oh today we're gonna all go out for dinner today we're we have to do this together so so i kind of like try to stay away from that kind of like 
team building kind of activities and uh and i'll leave it more to the athletes to just you know a bunch of times they just get organized to go for dinner or do whatever they want to do so so basically like what i'm thinking here is just it's just about sustainability sustainability of the work and uh and they already get a lot of face time with uh with me and with each other so striking a balance between alone time and squad time i think it's really important yeah how does uh, this squad environment uh, and how it works and how you operate differ for the long course athletes that you coach because i can imagine that it would be much more variable for them because they have different goal races so are at slightly different points in their periodization and and uh, some may be doing uh, half distance or 70.3 races and others may be doing full distance races as their goal races so is there a large variability there in how you operate uh i would say i would say that there's not a lot of variability in training content and structures for for 70 70.3 athletes for ironman athletes probably uh if you're like preparing an ironman then things are going to be very different between uh itu programs and ironman programs i feel that uh i feel that a lot of times long distance athletes also have a different uh, mental uh Uh, makeup and the way they face and they they do their training uh long distance athletes are most of the times more comfortable with doing long sessions on their own or even sessions on their own while itu athletes some because they come from like a team environment for example if i have collegiate runners they are used to a team environment if i have uh collegiate uh, swimmers or former collegiate swimmers they they are used to that team environment so they they're more comfortable on uh with a group environment so i'd say that like the differences are also going to be to integrate the work between long distance athletes and uh an itu athletes is more going to have to do a little bit with their with the way they face training so for example this winter the long distance athletes that i had with the with the itu squad i just had like two of them the rest you know like 10 or 12 were itu athletes and ends up being that you know the swims are going to be the the workouts where the whole group is together and then uh and then things are going to be going to be very different and and ended up you know towards uh, march april that my 70.3 athletes in, ended up doing a lot of the stuff that was very different like the the more the sessions with intensity were pretty different between uh, between groups and uh, and then they ended up like integrating the group by doing like you know both groups are going to be doing a 50 minute run or a one hour and a half easy bike so that's a good opportunity for them to uh, for everyone to be together yeah yeah so uh what does it take to become a member of the squad really what what is required of, of the athletes to to get in and, and what is required of them when they are in because it's uh i can imagine that you you do put requirements on the athletes it's a pretty organic process you know it's it's very similar to the way other coaches operate it's basically you know like other coaches like i have a i have a, a training group and uh and a lot of times you know some athletes are interested in the squad some other some other athletes i'm interested in coaching them because i feel it's going to be a good match so it's going to be like the way athletes come into the squad it's it's very organic and it's going to depend on uh, on uh, the individuals basically so i it's not like you know at the beginning when i started the squad i had a more a bigger uh, an approach where i would just like do like a call to action and i tried to get as many people to know that uh, that i was looking for athletes and uh, and as the level of the athletes in the squad and also you know the quality of the work that we were doing has improved i moved away from from that uh, model of recruitment and more into a individual model of recruitment and 
as you do good work with the athletes that you have, then uh, more athletes are interested in the work that you do. So, so basically, like all the athletes that I have now are coming in by by word of mouth or knowing me or knowing the work that I've done with my athletes, and uh, and so that's how the, the squad is uh, is uh, is growing right now. Yeah, you were one of the USAT coaches of the year for last year, 2016, and you had two of three US Olympians on the men's side. And also mm -hmm. Summer Cook had her big breakthrough with winning an ITU race in Edmonton. So so you done really well with, with your athletes during last year. So that I can imagine that it's not that word of mouth is more than enough at, at this point to to get mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. potential athletes. Yes. Um uh, by the way, talking about that uh, coach of the year. Uh, accolade how how does that feel and, and how do you look at 2016 uh, for the squad in general are you satisfied with what you achieved yeah it's always it's always interesting to get like to get an award uh, i i was uh, i was pretty happy that i got nominated and the way the process is is just like the athletes submit some uh, some nomination i wasn't like the driving force behind it and uh and i had my athletes just like write some uh testimonials and uh, and and so that's how the process went in regarding to 2016 i think you know the olympics are are pretty uh they're pretty life-changing uh experience and then the next day they're over and and there's also a lot of emptiness you know so uh 2016 was just like a you know a big whirlwind and uh and qualifying the guys at the same time also Pretty sad. I was pretty sad that uh, Derek uh, Eric Lagerstrom was really close to making the team, and he ended up not making the team. So that was kind of like a, a down point. But uh, but then there's a lot of just like huge focus in the in the Olympics, and then you get there and you do it, and then uh, and then it's over. I was lucky as a coach to just uh, rebound from the Olympics with uh, with seeing a summer uh, win uh, the WTS Edmonton, which was also like you know really really cool to see summer is still a big uh, work in progress but uh but winning a wts is always going to be a, a pretty big landmark so it was uh 2016 was just a the culmination of you know a lot of years of work and uh and grinding and uh and doing your job and all that stuff so uh it was it was good but you know it's as soon as it's over it's just building for the season and new projects and lots of new athletes and just uh, and you know and last year it's gone and all this and uh, what's in front of you is what matters now hmm. so what are your goals for the squad now going forward and if you can look a bit further ahead let's say to the next olympic games or so and even beyond that if you have any big grand visions for it yeah right now it's just it's just the squad is very very itu centered so most of the athletes are itu athletes and uh the first year of the quad is always a year where um so it's a year where you particularly like with new athletes you try to get a get a sense of who they are and how to work better with them and uh and those athletes that i've been working for longer time is just is just trying to find without a lot of pressure right now we don't have the pressure of having to have points we're we're pretty far from uh, olympic qualification starting and all that stress so we, there's a great opportunity right now to just work towards the olympics in a in a low pressure uh, situation and so it's an opportunity to just like test out new methods test out uh, uh, new ways of doing things not push things really hard because there's going to come a time where uh, we're going to be both me and the others are going to be you know way out of our comfort zones in order to as the pressure builds up for for olympic qualification so this year's going to be uh, I wouldn't call it easier 
uh, year, but a year where we're making mistakes or uh, it's they're not going to have like big repercussions in the future. Hmm. And you mentioned there that the athletes' workload and your workload will be increasing. And and I'm curious, what does your work look like on on a day to day basis? Uh, in addition to the on deck coaching, and what what does it consist of? Yeah, I'm I'm really like hands on, one stop shop for everything. So I ended up I end up doing like on to, on top of coaching sessions, I end up doing a lot of stuff uh, like you know bike fitting. Uh, even working bike mechanic, uh, meeting with the athletes. Like when you ask me something about about coaching individuals, one thing that that I do is the way I interact with the athletes are going is going to be uh, on an individual basis. So I through the years I kind of like moved away from that uh, squad meeting rah rah motivational stuff and more. And basically now I might have like you know one or two squad meetings a year and uh, and and moving towards just having uh, individual meetings with the athletes so so when you have you know 12 or 14 athletes at training camp if you're going to meet with them individual that's a lot of time that that it takes then there's always going to be like stuff that needs to be taken care of or athletes that need to meet with me on a daily basis so there's you know there's always stuff to do and uh and it's basically uh basically non-stop you know roughly between 8 a.m and and like 5 p.m something like that so there's, you know, there's always stuff. The athletes all live in the same area. It's really easy for them to just come and see me, like unannounced, at uh, at where I live. So, so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of it's a full day's work, seven days a week, basically. Yeah. How often do you have those individual meetings with with athletes, and how long do they last for? A lot of times, I'm going to have athletes that just want to chat about something, and I. And I might have like a 10, 15 minute uh, conversation after a session, before a session, something like that. If I have a round of uh, round of uh, meetings, which usually happen, you know, if uh, like every month or something like that, then then those might uh, might last as long as like 20 to 30 minutes. And and then there's like punctual meetings where just an athlete just reaches out and says like, hey, do you have a time to chat? And that might take a while. So um, ends up ends up being like a lot of a lot of individual communication as well and uh and also there's also like you know stuff like uh, logistics and plans and race plans and what to do and so there's always a lot of communication going with the athletes and also going to be dependent on individuals some some are uh more communication oriented i don't want to use the word high uh versus low maintenance i'm going to say communication oriented some are more communication oriented some are more like task oriented or they just do what's in front of them so it's going to depend on on each individual mm. are some athletes also taking a, a larger part in their own the makings of their own training program and having a lot of suggestions for how how they want to train or is it all up to you and they and they all follow that structure or how, how does that work i like to discuss with the athlete with athletes basically like big picture questions so basically and and listen to a lot of uh, input on them for in 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 terms of big picture so for example we might start a block and and i just might listen to the like a specific athlete might have some feedback on just like you know i like short reps and not long reps you know that kind of stuff or i like this kind of training method that i it's been good for me in the past you know and uh, and and that's the kind of stuff that i that i that i listen to and that i integrate in their work i try to stay away from you know from 
that kind of like you know in the moment decision where we're like deciding if we should uh, you know run one hour and a half or two hours or or do 10 rep- repeat instead of uh, instead of uh, eight you know a bunch of times what i'll do is just like get like general feedback from them but you know 90 percent of the time is the session that i have in mind for them it's the one that we're going to be executing so basically try to stay away from like you know from from the from a la carte uh, training and more into just like trying to uh, trying to uh, get the the big picture right and then and then leave the the day-to-day decisions to me okay and uh one thing that you might have some insight into that's also another thing that probably might the question that I'm most curious about uh, for you specifically, since you coach elite athletes at, in a high performance environment, do you have any, can you tell us anything about what it takes to make it at a top level in terms of physical attributes and mental attributes and how trainable each of these are? What's more important and, and what can you train and what can't you train? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like the biggest, the biggest thing is, the biggest thing is talent and uh, and talent for talent for the sport and uh and uh you know and with some experience a lot of times you can see you can see that talent i would say that like mental makeup mental makeup is is where the biggest variation happens with athletes i don't know if it's just an an attribute but i think it's just like human attribute is that like i i coach athletes with very different personalities and uh and even even if there's not going to be a big range in mindset and the way they approach uh, the sport in terms of like you know physical characteristics they're going to be statistically very similar and uh but i would say that like talent for the sport and, and natural ability is going to be uh it's going to be a pretty big deciding factor we like to tell kids particularly here in the us that you can you can uh you can accomplish anything that you want to or that you set your mind to but obviously when it comes to uh elite sports that's that's not the case and uh and and just and just that raw talent for the sport is going to be uh going to be important then uh then in terms of like mental approach and mental uh like just creating your performance mindset and how you approach the sport obviously it's something that's going to be a a blend between uh your own natural abilities in that department but also a lot of learning what uh what works for you and also a little bit of uh, a little bit of support and guidance from from your coach can go can go a long way there mm, yeah okay uh, so piggybacking on what you you alluded to earlier about your background in uh, fluid dynamics uh, so i want to just give the listeners a brief background because we've been we're a bit pressed for time trying to fit everything into i try to keep these interviews to below 40 minutes or so but mm-hmm. but we have a little bit of time so so you you're a mechanical engineer by trade and you have a phd in computational fluid dynamics so so how uh-huh. did you get into triathlon and coaching uh actually actually it started when i was in engineering school uh the triathlon team in my school is one of the oldest uh, triathlon teams in portugal so basically the there's been a triathlon team in in my school since uh, since triathlon started in in portugal in the mid 80s so there was a long tradition of uh, of triathlon in my school and then and then when i got uh, i got interested in in the sport and i can even remember like uh, a friend of mine one one day just got to me and said like i'm going to do a triathlon which is swim bike run and uh, and i just and he tells me like i just got a bike and then he started like telling me about the sport and it was funny that like my my friend ended up never doing a triathlon in his life and uh, 
and 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 this was something you know and i'm a triathlon lifer now so i got interested in the sport and you know it's interesting just like you know finishing a triathlon and kind of like built from there and uh and around that time that i was uh that i was graduating from my uh from my undergrad i uh the team was just pretty in dire straits and nobody was taking care of it and so i i started organizing the team and managing the team and so and making it grow and then we got to the point where we're we're uh, one of the biggest uh, triathlon teams in in portugal so this was like mid 90s and uh or towards the, the end of the 90s and uh and then i pretty quickly i started seeing that uh the coaches were not good enough and i had to start coaching the athletes and that's how i i, I started coaching athletes in the team this was like you know a college slash age group team and then basically from then on i just started like you know coaching anyone that would come into the team and uh and that's how i got into in, into coaching mm-hmm. and as i as i pursued my 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 graduate studies i also like continued just like coaching and uh and so that that was like the beginning for me to to start coaching was was just you know having having a a day job and then and then having coaching being my hobby yeah and then you got to to uh, the united states at at what point and in what uh, capacity i came to the us in 2005 and uh, and this was uh, after i finished my phd and uh, and i did uh, i did two uh, postdocs here in the us and then uh, and then while i while i was in the us it was you know it was easier to to build uh, to build a practice of coaching uh, coaching age groupers and at the same time also uh, started coaching some uh, some pros uh, here i still had some uh, I still had some Portuguese athletes that I was still coaching while I was here. And uh, I had at the time, uh, I was coaching Sergio Marquez, which at the time he was uh, a pretty decent uh, Ironman athlete. Uh, he got uh, two top 20s in Kona in uh, t- 2005 and 2006. And and so basically with, uh, you know, Sergio was pretty much like the seed for, for me to start coaching elites and uh and so, you know, while I was while I was in the US and doing uh, my postdocs, I kind of like built my practice as a coach to the point that I w- allowed me to just, you know, get to 2010 and uh, and get the triathlon scout going. Okay, excellent. Yeah, one more thing uh, about your background as well. We I actually just yesterday talked to your friend Nuno Placeres. Uh, uh-huh. So he will be on the show the episode before yours, I think. So. Uh-huh. That will be soon, but uh, how do you know him? Is that also from uh, from? Yeah, I, me and Nuno go way back to the to the time where uh, where uh, Nuno was uh, was also getting involved in triathlon, and uh, and then he started training with us and uh, and racing for our team. And actually, Nuno was a uh, a pretty big help at the time in getting the getting the team uh, like with a, with a high profile and and helping out with getting the team just started and it was a pretty big uh, force in uh, getting us to have uh, group uh, workouts and uh, and uh, team bike ride and stuff like that so so Nuno and I just uh, go way way back and uh, you guess it like I used to coach Nuno back in the day as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I coached him uh, to yeah for triathlon and uh, for a couple of marathons I think so uh, so yeah me and Nuno we just go way way back yeah, and if somebody happens to listen to this episode and it's their first episode, then what we talked about with Nuno is uh, aerodynamics on the bike largely and also some other ways to get 
so-called free speed on your bike so you can go back an episode and listen to that all well, right make uh, sure i hope i hope you told nuno that he needs to buy a new helmet because i've been telling him that for for the last couple of years he has a really project <laughs> one now <laughs> oh no no comments no comments <laughs> okay. okay so uh paula i want to go into three rapid fire questions okay so the first one is what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success Drinking coffee. Okay. Yeah. I've never considered that, but I do it myself. So hopefully that, that's something <laughs> that would be useful. What do you wish you had known or wish you had done differently at some point in your career? It's a lot on, on your experiences and, and learning from, from your experiences. So basically, you know, this might be a very in uh, answer, but, but just what I am now as a coach is the product of all the experience that I had, both good and bad. So, so basically like doing something different is you know, maybe like what what I could have done different, maybe maybe not a lot, maybe maybe sometimes a little bit of luck here and there I could have uh, could have made things uh, better, but they could have also made things worse. So so you never know. Mm. And uh, who are your mentors or some people that you look up to in triathlon? Definitely two people that I learned from a lot. Uh, two Canadians or one Canadian and one one person without a without a country now. Uh, the first the first. Uh, uh, Joel Filiol. I've been I've been friends with Joel for uh, for over ten years now, and uh, and uh, and I've learned a lot from him. Not as much from from you know Joel telling me what to do, but basically on the discussions that we've had have uh, helped me tremendously in uh, in learning how to coach and being a coach and uh, and focusing on on the right things. I think that a lot of coaches a lot of times focus on the wrong things, and that prevents them from from being better and uh and the other person would be would be simon whitfield uh just uh just the time that i worked with him and also the time that i've known him i learned i learned a ton from him he was just is is uh he's an athlete that had uh like a tremendous like competitive drive he had a uh, he was someone with tremendously like good instincts when it came to triathlon I, I like to say that he has a high triathlon iq Somebody that's with instincts to sometimes he would say something like, "Well, I don't think that's a good thing," and he just couldn't. He probably couldn't explain it why, but he was just almost always like, you know, right. So, so I, I, these were two people that I that I feel like I've learned more from. Yeah, and apart from that, just I'm a pretty big believer on, on just like learning from your experiences, learning from coaching, learning from working with athletes at whatever level you you learn a ton about about training and about coaching by just by just coaching and 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 working with athletes yeah do you have some examples of some of the wrong things that uh, coaches might focus on sometimes as you mentioned that i think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, focus on what sessions to do what kind of training to do what's the right uh, amount of intensity what's the right amount of volume and uh, about the planning just uh, having a plan and following it while uh, when you work with athletes on a daily basis, we're just trying to create something that's sustainable and that allows the athletes to train consistently and and derive performance from that consistency. And uh, and the more you're bogged down to the plan, the more you're bogged down to today we need to do this session or or to think the to think uh, about training as just like the key session, the magical sessions that we have to have or the test sessions that we need to do in order to progress. I think doing a lot of that is is focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. So if you would draw a Venn diagram, then 
programming would be a small circle within within a much bigger circle that is coaching basically well you know being a mechanical engineer and uh, on the the fluid uh, thermo thermodynamic side we we don't we don't deal a lot with vin with vin diagrams those are, those were my courses that i didn't pay attention i would say that like seeing seeing uh, athletes by by being people and listening to them and just tailoring still being a coach but listening to them and what what they're telling you and uh, and picking up on the clues to just move the work forward i think that's the biggest the biggest thing yeah okay thank you paulo this has been very great uh, where can the listeners find out more about you and connect with you you do have a podcast together with joe joel filial the real coaching podcast but uh it has been a bit inactive recently is there any chance that it's coming back soon probably not we we just mainly just joke about it and say that uh whenever we have something that we wanted to say so we we say like oh maybe we should start a podcast i think the the biggest problem with a podcast is it's just most of the times we're like in different time zones and uh and just with really different schedules so like finding a time for us to uh sit down and record a podcast is really really hard so i i don't see the podcast coming back in the in the near future in order to uh to find me i uh i have a very obnoxious uh twitter account that uh, everyone can find me at uh at ps triathlon and um yeah that's pre- pretty much like the best way to keep uh keep track of what i'm doing because uh i kind of like i don't have a website i moved away from that kind of stuff and uh and uh, and just focusing more on the you know on the on the day-to-day coaching and less on uh website business side of of coaching yeah okay thank you again it has been a pleasure to talk to you no worries thanks thanks a lot for your time i appreciate it all right so i really hope that you enjoyed that interview thanks again to nuno placeres who was uh, on the last episode on episode 25 for putting me in touch with paulo to help us arrange this interview on the next episode of that triathlon show we will go back to something very very practical again and this will be as i have mentioned a couple of episodes ago training zones now we're actually going to do that interview and i'm not going to reschedule so that will be a at least a three-part series so for swimming cycling and running separately so part one will be for swimming as we usually do in triathlon we put swimming first so this episode will cover how to determine training zones and what they are, most importantly, how you should use them to make your training more effective. So I think that's it for today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, remember to subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player app or in iTunes. And as always, I would really really appreciate if you could tell your triathlon friends about the show to help me spread the word you'll find the show notes for today's episode on that thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon <laughs> <laughs>